Well, happy 4th of July to everybody here, 4th of July weekend, and um, one person over there is excited about it, so, ooh, a 4th of July. So, this weekend is really not just about fireworks, fireworks is kind of fun, but it's about celebrating Independence Day. Back in 1776, it's really as Christians, we celebrate the founding of this nation uh, because it was founded on biblical principles. Today is 240 years later, 2016, and today, unfortunately, we've strayed from our godly beginnings as a nation, and we've chosen to become independent from God rather than putting ourselves in dependence upon Him. So I'd like us to watch a short video called Dependence, a Prayer for Our Nation. And so God has a purpose for every nation. He has a purpose for our nation as well. And today we're going to be talking about that. Uh, I'd like you to pull out a white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the scriptures written out as, long as, as well as the outline. I'd encourage you to take some notes there. God has a purpose for every nation. The first verse we're going to look at is Acts chapter 17. God's word says, from one man, that was Adam, he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And so it was God himself who created the nations. He determined the time in history for each nation. He determined that the United States of America would be born in 1776. And God determined the place for each nation on the face of the planet. Now, what was the purpose of God's creation of the nations? It tells us. It was so that men would seek after him and find him. God created the nation so that people would find a relationship with their creator. The United States of America was founded on biblical principles. And it has become the greatest missionary sending nation in the history of the world. Sending missionaries out to the four corners of the globe that people would be saved and come into the kingdom of God. Life Church is part of the Assemblies of God Fellowship, which is one of the leaders in world missions. We now have 68 million members in 255 countries. We have 365,000 churches and 388,000 ministers. We have 2,800 full-time missionaries, 9,800 short-term missionaries. Every 29 seconds, a new believer comes into our fellowship. Every 63 minutes, a new church is planted somewhere on this planet. In every 43 minutes, a new minister is added. Now, how did it all begin? The Assemblies of God began in this nation. It began in 1914 in Hot Springs, Arkansas, with just a few hundred people. And now it has spread to the corners of the earth. Today, 95% of the Assemblies of God worships outside of the United States. And so we see the kingdom of God advancing. And God has used our nation. And there's other, other groups that God has sent out, obviously, from the United States to do missionary work around the world. 
The kingdom of God is advancing and yet another kingdom is opposing that advance. Another kingdom is fighting against the advance of the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's message is entitled Power Over, Power Over Satan. Satan has a kingdom which is opposed to the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 2 says, As for you, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. Paul is writing in this letter, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so the kingdom of Satan works in all those in this world who are not yet believers. And so every person on this world is either part of the kingdom of God or they're part of the kingdom of the air, which is the kingdom of Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4 talks about Satan's activities. He says, The God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see what the gospel is all about so that he can keep them he so that he can keep them in his kingdom and how is satan defeated he's defeated as we rescue people from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light as they are saved one by one now today we're going to look uh, at a miracle story of jesus uh, we're in a series called experience god's power we're looking at different miracles that happened in the Bible. And the story we're going to look at today is how Jesus rescued a man who was under demonic control. And this, is, this story is an example and a pattern for us as well. The Bible tells us that Satan and his demons are even more active today than they were in the past. And that activity is going to increase as the second coming of Jesus gets closer and closer. So let's look first of all at Satan's effect on people. The story begins in Luke chapter 8. It says, They, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And so Jesus is leaving the Jewish province of Galilee, going across the lake to a Gentile province or region of the Gerasenes. And on the way across the lake, if you read previous in the chapter, there was a fierce storm. And it threatened to sink the boat on which Jesus and his disciples were riding in. And Jesus rebuked the storm, and all was quiet. Now, it's interesting that in the Greek, the word used here for rebuke is the word that is commonly used in the New Testament when Jesus rebukes evil spirits. He rebuked this storm. And I believe this storm was undoubtedly stirred up by Satan. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He was trying to attempt to thwart what Jesus was going to do, which was to perform the miracle that we're going to be studying today. So let's see what happens next. We're going to learn that demons actually make people animal-like. Now that's my word. Uh, that's not in the Bible. Luke chapter 8, verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. 
And so what were the characteristics of this man who immediately met Jesus as he landed on the shore? In the Greek, it says the man had demons. That's literally what the Greek said. He was naked. He had no clothes. He lived away from other people. He lived in a graveyard. Parallel account in Mark tells us the man was continually crying out and cutting himself with stones. The demons spoke through his voice. They knew who Jesus was. They knew the authority and power that Jesus had over them. And so demons seek to control people. They seek to to make them like animals rather than people created in the image of God. Demons seek to follow their leader, who is Satan. The first thing we see that we see is that the man was naked. He had no clothes on. Where did the clothes come from? Well, God gave clothes to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he gave them clothes for many reasons. We don't have time to get into it. But Satan is the one and his demons who promote nakedness. Leads to other animal-like behavior. So he is the one, Satan is the one behind the scourge of pornography in our society and around the world. God gave clothes for a reason. Demons are behind this other behavior. Satan is the one behind the deviant sexual behavior that's being glorified in our society and in cultures around the world. Being glorified by the people of his kingdom. And so ultimately, demons seek to destroy people. They're still active in our world today. Verse 29, Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? A legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And so this scripture tells us from time to time the demons seized him. They took greater control of the man and they gave him supernatural strength. He was able to break any chains that people had put on him, people had bound him with. So what do you do with a man like that? Well, the people tried to tie him up. The people tried to control him. The people tried, but it didn't work. And the demons then drove him away from from people, from society, into a place of the dead in the graveyard. So demons seek to make people animal-like and ultimately to destroy them. If a demon can kill a person or cause a person to kill himself, where are they going to end up? And they're going to end up in Satan's kingdom, in hell forever and ever. And so in this case, many demons inhabited this man. Many demons were seeking to destroy him. A Roman legion consisted of four to 6,000 soldiers. And that may indicate how many demons were in this man. As they said, their name was Legion. Now, what would doctors today say was wrong with this man that Jesus encountered? He's mentally ill. They would say he was mentally ill, and he was mentally ill. But the cause of his mental illness was demonic. It's clearly stated here. And healing for this man was not going to come from drugs. It was not going to come from psychotherapy. 
but through deliverance by the power of the Spirit. Now, unfortunately, today, over 40% of adults in the U.S. who claim to be Christians do not even believe that Satan exists. Now, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies, and the first lie that he promotes is that he doesn't exist. If you don't know that your enemy exists, you're not going to have your guard up against him. You're not going to fear him. You're not going to think he's a threat at all. And so in our country, the lies of Satan continue to increase. We hear them every day on our news programs, calling right wrong and calling wrong right. Read a recent poll, a majority of Americans now believe that a person is a religious extremist. Does that sound like a good person you'd want to be your buddy? A religious extremist. A religious extremist is one who attempts to convert others to their faith. What does the Bible call that? Being a witness. Okay? So most people, uh, over 40% of people think that we are religious extremists. A religious extremist extremist is someone who believes that homosexual behavior is wrong. That's what the Bible teaches. A religious, a religious extremist, majority of Americans believe, is one who prays in public for a stranger. How extreme is that? And yet we see increases in drug and alcohol abuse across our country. How do people often act when they're under the influence of of drugs and alcohol. Do they act like people made in the image of God? Or do they act more like animals? You know what the answer is. People under the influence of mind-altering drugs open themselves up to demonic influence and possession. In many of the horrific crimes that we read about in the paper are undoubtedly done under demonic control, seeking to destroy other people and the person themselves. So what is the solution? How should we as believers respond as we see this activity increasing in our world? Well, we engage in spiritual warfare through prayer. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Prayer is not religious extremism. Christians are not seeking to blow people up. And don't paint us with the same word. We're not seeking to kill people. We're seeking to save people. We engage in seeking to deliver people from demonic influence and bring them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We seek to lead people to become believers in Jesus Christ. That's the best thing, the best gift you could give to anybody you know. To lead them to Jesus. That's simply what God asks of us to do. And that's how we advance the kingdom of God and defeat the kingdom of darkness. Now, as we go on in our story, we see that Jesus has authority over demons. Verse 31 And they, speaking of the demons, begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So as we go through this story, we see that these demons are speaking through this man. They've taken control of him, and they're speaking through them. It's not the man speaking, it's the demons speaking. And not only do the demons know who Jesus was or who he is, they were terrified of Jesus. They understood his power, they understood his authority, and they were 
fearful that Jesus would send them into the abyss. Now, the abyss is the place of the dead. The Bible doesn't tell us much about it, but uh, it's a place where evil spirits are kept for judgment. You can read more about it in Revelation chapter 20 if you'd like. And these spirits prefer to inhabit people, or second best is animals, rather than to be sent to the abyss or to wander in solitary places. Why do they want to inhabit people and animals? So that they can exercise ungodly control. So they can carry out Satan's wishes. I mean, these are kind of like robot people. I mean, they are following what the demons want them to do. And it took Jesus some time. They didn't immediately come out. It took him some time to drive out this large number of demons from the man. Now, Obviously, this was an extreme case of demonic possession, uh, an extreme case. And yet, even in this case, which doctors would say this guy is hopeless, put him in the psych ward, give him some drugs, just keep him quiet. There's nothing we can do for him. His mind is gone. But Jesus had the authority to set the man free, and we're going to see how that happened. Actually, the Holy Spirit drove the demons out. Verse 32, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission. And so the demons knew they had to submit to Jesus' power. They knew they had to submit to Jesus' authority. In Matthew 12, 28, Jesus explains he drives out demons through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's power is what drives demons out of people. And this explains why Jesus commanded his followers to drive out demons as he did. Jesus was not the only one who drove out demons. His disciples drove out demons in the Gospels. And after the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, both the apostles and non-apostles cast demons out of people. It was a continuing activity of the church and continues to this day. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus empowers his followers. When demons are cast out, uh, you can't kill a demon. They don't die. They're, they're evil spirits. Uh, they don't have physical bodies. They look for their next victim. And so in this case, they came out of the man. And it says in verse 33, when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. And so the demons wanted to at least inhabit animals, but that didn't last very long. Jesus sent them into the herd of pigs. And what do demons try to do? They try to destroy whatever they're in. And of course, uh, pigs really couldn't fight back very well against demons, and so they just went berserk and ran off cliff and were drowned in the lake. That's normally not what herds of pigs do. But it was under this demonic control. And so the demons... Uh, were again without a person or animal to inhabit. Now Jesus gave a further teaching in Luke chapter 11 on demon possession. And there he taught that when demons are cast out of a person, they, they wander around in solitary places looking for someone else to inhabit. They don't like to be disembodied. And Luke chapter 11, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus warns that if the person from whom the demons are cast out remains empty, his house, his body remains empty, in that he's not filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The demons may return and see the house is empty and bring some of their buddies. And they would enter back into the man and his last state, his final state, will be worse than he was before he was delivered. And so as believers, we need to understand about Satan and uh, the power he has. But we don't need to be afraid of him or his demons. Believers have power over Satan. They have power over demons in the name of Jesus Christ. We have power to resist Satan and his demons in our own lives. And we have the power and authority to set people free from demonic forces in the name of Jesus. Satan is not omnipresent like the Holy Spirit. He can only be in one place at one time. So how does he exert his influence? Satan exerts his influence through a host of a myriad of demonic spirits, evil spirits, unclean spirits. The Bible uses different terminology for the same thing. A host of demonic forces. How do we resist the devil? We submit our lives to God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can help others break free of demonic influence in their lives through prayer, taking authority over these forces in the name of Jesus. Now, what were the results of the deliverance of this man? Well, first of all, the deliverance of this demon-possessed man got people's attention. Let's begin in verse 34. It says, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. It seems to me what first got people's attention is, my pigs ran off the cliff and are drowned and I've lost all my pigs. It got people's attention. It was a huge loss. It was an economic loss for the people who earned the the herd of pigs. And this undoubtedly wondered, caused the people to wonder, what is Jesus going to do next? Maybe there were some other herds around. Who knows what Jesus was going to do? This was a cause for alarm. They were afraid of Jesus and what he had to do. And so they asked Jesus to leave. Kind of sad, wasn't it? They were more concerned about their pigs than about this man who had been set free. And they wanted Jesus to go. They really didn't care about this guy at all. They were overcome with fear. And what did Jesus do? Did he argue with them? They didn't want him around. He got into his boat and left. But deliverance certainly did get the people's attention. Now, the man himself, he was, he was saved and healed. Verse 35, we're mixing the verses around a little bit here to fit with the outline. It says, when they came to Jesus, these are the people that are coming to see what happened. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And so the people were 
not only afraid because of what happened to the pigs, they were also afraid because of what happened to the man. Now notice this, this amazing transformation of this demon-possessed man. First of all, he was quietly sitting at Jesus' feet. And what does that tell you? It tells you he was listening to Jesus' teaching. From everything we see here, he had become a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus had set him free. Uh, he was going to follow Jesus. He was going to do whatever Jesus said. He was saved. Secondly, he was clothed. He had his clothes on. He was no longer naked. He was in his right mind before he had been naked and mentally ill. Why were the people afraid of what happened to the man? I believe they recognized the power of God in Jesus. But the people of the town, the people of the region were not yet ready to submit their lives to him. They just weren't sure. This was too much power. They didn't know what he would require. So they were afraid. And so the demon-possessed man had been cured. He'd been delivered of these demon demons. He'd become a believer and a follower of Jesus. And the man wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus physically. And Jesus said, no, I've got a different plan for your life. I want you to share your story with the people in your town, in your region. Now, why did Jesus have him do that? Well, I believe it's because the people didn't want Jesus around. And so Jesus said, you be my witness here. You tell people, you tell them your story and let me work in their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so we see again, as we've seen in many of the miracles, that this miracle that Jesus did, it had a positive effect on somebody, on this man who was set free. But yet others turned away and said, Jesus, you go away. We don't want you here. Even after seeing a dramatic miracle. Some people think God would just do a miracle. Then everybody would believe. It didn't work that way in Jesus' time. It doesn't work that way today. And so today in 2016, demons are still among us today. What are demons? They're fallen angels. They follow the commands of Satan. They seek to thwart the advance of the kingdom of God. A demons tempt people. Where do your temptations come from? There's little gremlins whispering in your ear. They seek to harm people. They seek to destroy people. They seek to influence people. Their influence can range from oppression to, to full possession, as we saw today by many demons. But as believers, we need not fear Satan. We need not fear demons. We acknowledge their power, but we know that the power of God, the power of his Holy Spirit is greater. Whenever you or I seek to follow God's plan for our lives, whenever we seek to put God's will into practice, whenever we seek to advance the kingdom of God, whenever we seek to be a witness for Jesus Christ, there is going to be a demonic counterattack. You are going to face demonic opposition. Things are going to happen out of the ordinary that resist the advance of the kingdom of God. And how do we overcome? We overcome by submitting ourselves to God in His Word, by being filled with the Spirit and praying according to God's Word. So don't be surprised when you're trying to do something for God and there's some resistance, either in another person or through circumstances, just expect it. 
we're at war with the kingdom of darkness. But God wants to use you, me, He wants to use our church to set people free from the power of Satan in an increasing way. And so on this July 4th, 2016, we see the effects of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness in our country increasing. And as, poor, as important as the upcoming elections are, Satan is not defeated in the ballot box. We all should vote for the best candidate, but that's not how Satan is ultimately defeated. He's defeated as the kingdom of God advances, as people are saved and become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And so the tide of this country can be turned. And how is it turned? It's turned one person at a time. People being delivered, people being saved, people learning to follow Jesus as Lord of their lives. And so this morning, I'd like to give you an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ or to recommit your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To have a relationship with Jesus, you need to first of all admit that you've sinned, that you've done wrong things. Secondly, you need to believe that Jesus died to forgive your sins, to take the punishment for your sins. And finally, see you need to commit your life to Him as your Lord. So I'd like to ask you to bow your heads now. We're going to pray a simple prayer. If you'd like to commit your life to Jesus Christ for the first time or to recommit your life to Him this morning, I'd encourage you to pray along with me in your mind. God knows what your thoughts are and the intentions of your heart. Say something like this, Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done things that I know were wrong. I admit that I've sinned. I've gone my own way. I've followed my own plans for my life, not yours. Please forgive me. Today, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead three days later. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you as my Lord all the days of my life. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for the victory that Jesus won over Satan on the cross. We thank you that Satan is a defeated foe. And we know that ultimately Satan and his demonic forces will be thrown into hell, the lake of fire forever and ever. But in the meantime, God, we ask that you give us the wisdom and the courage to stand against him. Help us, like Jesus, God, to set people free from the enemy's oppression. Show us how to discern Satan's lies and help us to live and to speak the truth that is found in your word. And on this 4th of July, God, 2016, the 240th birthday of our nation, God, we pray for the United States of America as well. We thank you for the, for the biblical principles that this country was founded upon. And we ask you, God, to forgive us as a nation for departing from your truth and listening to the lies of the enemy. God, we pray that you'd help each one of us and the church as a whole in this country to share your truth with those around us so that they will become committed followers of Jesus Christ, part of the kingdom of God. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done as this church does its part in the St. Louis area. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.